Mac Power Users, episode 383, Educational Workflows with Teddy Sferonos. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. I'm here today without my partner in crime. Katie Floyd had a, a personal thing she had to deal with today, so she couldn't be here. But that's okay, because we have one of the most appreciated guests on the show. Welcome back, Teddy Sfronos. Hey, David. Good to be back. T- Teddy, did you see how I did the laid right in the title right when I got your last name again? I always feel like I'm getting it wrong. It happens. That was that was quite good, actually. I just tried to jam them together, the S and the V together. I'm just, just going to go for it. That's literally the best way to do it. You just try to force them together and whatever you get is close enough. Yeah. Well, gang, if you don't remember, Teddy was on the show a year ago, uh, episode 319. He's a lecturer at the Kennedy School of Public Policy, uh, Harvard, fancy, right? And uh, just a really smart geek. He talked a lot about how he's using tech in the lecture hall and a bunch of folks listening to the show that were not teachers, but business people and just anybody who's using a a Mac or an iPad to get information across got a lot out of that episode. We got a ton of positive feedback on it. And, um, and Teddy and I were email corresponding recently. He was telling me all the new stuff he's doing. I'm like, you know what? Usually we wait a couple of years, but I think for Teddy, we'll make an exception to have you back to talk about some of the cool stuff you're doing. Sounds good. So let's start. Let's just dig right in. Um, uh, tech in the lecture hall. I mean, uh, you're doing a lot of, of classes, and when we spoke last, you had kind of a an interesting system with, with multiple systems where you had sideboards with certain information, or you had separate uh, technology you're using to present your actual presentation. How has that changed? Yeah, so um, I'm still doing it largely as I talked about uh, last time I was on the show. I have uh, an iPad projecting via an Apple TV to a main projector. And then on the side screens, I have some other device, either an iPhone or a MacBook, um, with some keynote slides on. And I use the sort of side app multitasking function of the iPad to control the side screens without having to sort of go over to that device. Um, and so that's the remote app, right? The keynote remote remote. Exactly. Yeah. And that thing has been getting better and better. I was going to say the, uh, the annotation function is getting pretty good. Just tapping on the remote. Um, while while our presentation is going, if you just tap on it with an Apple Pencil, it just jumps right into annotation mode. So I could even annotate whatever is going on on the other slides as I'm walking around the lecture hall, which is which is pretty cool. I think that's new, right? I don't think you were doing that last time we talked. Yeah, it didn't. You, it used to have to be that you sort of went into this other this annotation mode and then it registered your finger the same way it registered the pencil. So it was a lot less elegant. But now it's good enough that like you can pretty much have a fully, like in the same way that I use GoodNotes to totally annotate a PDF, you can annotate a keynote presentation quite nicely. The one thing that I wish it would do is if you accidentally exit the presentation, then uh, all your annotations are gone. So you have to be careful not to accidentally do that because it's sort of a one-time thing as you use it. Now, are you do assuming you don't exit, is there a way to save those annotations? All I can think of is to take a screenshot. It's not, that's one thing that I think the uh, iOS PowerPoint app actually has over Keynote is I think if you exit, it asks you if you want to save it as like, you know, line art basically on the slide. Um, And I would love to be able to do that in Keynote because right now, once you exit, uh, or there's no way to save it at all. Once the presentation's over, it's over. 
So just, and just backing up, because not everybody listened to episode 319. When you're lecturing, you've got these additional screens in your room. I believe if memory serves, they were on the side of the room, like uh, against a, a separate wall. Yeah, exactly. So if you can, if you think of what I'm doing with the main projector as sort of working through examples and getting into the nitty gritty of various statistical concepts and stuff like that, um, on the side screens, I have sort of main ideas, important equations that come up. Um, I've been using polling software, which was new from last time. And so I have the whatever polls are up on the screen, on the side screen, so that I can focus the main screen on, you know, whatever handwriting I'm doing from with good notes. Um, so it's just sort of any supplementary content or big picture stuff that I want to just kind of have present while I work on the main screen. And I think it's it's sort of a hard thing cognitively to get around, but once you get used to it, it's really, really nice to have these kind of two sets of content to present to students. Yeah. And that way, if they, like, like you said, if there's a formula, they, they still have that available, even though you're on the main screen working on something else. And, and the way I recall is you had a main app and you're using an iPad and you've got a main app and then the side app is usually the keynote remote which allows you to drive those secondary screens. So the main the main app is driving towards a separate projector and the keynote remote is driving the separate screens on the side of the room. So you can basically be driving two presentations at once on your on your iPad. Exactly, yeah. So one of the things that the iPad I think has over Macs which is pretty fantastic for presenting is that if your main app has like a presentation mode, so Keynote has this, PowerPoint has this, GoodNotes, which is the PDF annotator I use, has it, then any other thing you do on the side screens or on the iPad, if it's bringing down the notification center or using multitasking to get an app on the side, none of that projects to the main, to the Apple TV. The only, the main thing that you're dealing with does. And so that's a really huge thing as a as a lecturer or a presenter or whatever to have all the supplementary content available to you that you don't have to like refer to another device or another piece of paper. And then so I guess before you start class, then for those side projectors or that that side those side screens, you've got I believe it's a Mac driving those. Yeah. So it used to be I used to just use my iPhone, which is, you know, as mobile as you can get. You bring your iPad and your iPhone and you plug in the iPhone into one screen and you get the iPad projecting to the other and then you're all set. Um, I started using a MacBook instead because, like I was saying, I use this online poll software to, to poll the students with uh, questions about, you know, statistics and stuff to get people discussing in class. And that software can only run on a Mac. It doesn't run on an iPad. So instead, I just have the keynote presentation running from the Mac and that way whenever I use a poll everywhere question, it automatically is embedded in the keynote slide on the Mac. All right. Well, I want to get back to that polling software in a minute, but the, um, but just the, the concept of it, I think is pretty great. <laughs> I think you're the only one we've ever had on the show that was, is literally driving two presentations at once on an iPad pro. The, um, have you had any, any problems with, I mean, has the technology still generally working for you? I haven't had any trouble at all. And I, you know, I'm knocking on wood, but it's pretty great. The only thing that ever happens sometimes is um, if my iPad is sort of wonky with AirPlay sometimes, that has happened to me maybe twice in the past year. I've had to restart my iPad, but that takes like, you know, a minute or a minute and a half, and it happens very, very infrequently. The Keynote remote thing is rock solid and is all peer-to-peer, -peer, I think, because like I was telling you before, I 
um, before we started the recording, I just did some teaching in India where the Wi-Fi network was not in any way reliable and required a login every time. So I wasn't using it. And Keynote Remote worked perfectly between my Mac and my iPad. So I, I'm increasingly sort of into solutions that don't uh, require there to be a strong and not enterprise-grade Wi-Fi network so that you can do bonjour networking and stuff. And these are examples of stuff that do that. So your iPad projecting to AirPlay is direct peer-to-peer. Keynote and Keynote Remote is peer-to-peer. All of that makes it so easy to just take it no matter where you're presenting and not have to worry about the network. Yeah, there's so many lawyers that write me because I've I've given trials with iPad going to an Apple TV and there's so many people that write me and say, I'm just afraid I just can't do it. I, you know, I have to use my Mac wired to a projector. I'm like, that's fine. But I can tell you, I've, I've really never had a problem with it. Uh, I guess I would qualify that to say I if there was a problem, I'm smart enough about this stuff that I would know how to fix it. But I think if you set it up and you're a little careful, it really isn't that difficult. And um, and the the trip of India to India is really kind of an interesting point because so you go to India to teach some of the same things you teach at at Harvard to folks. Do you bring the whole rig with you then? So I, I didn't ex- I didn't expect you did that. Yeah, I totally do because the the rig is a MacBook, an iPad, and a little Apple TV. It's easy enough to get through security at an airport. There's no additional fancy stuff. It's just something to plug into a projector. And then when you get there, they need to have two sets of projectors and, and screens for you. Right. So in, in when I taught in India this past uh, week, I didn't use a second screen. I just used a main screen, but I still had the second screen. Uh, I still had multitasking going on my iPad So because I had notes about stuff that I wanted to reference and teaching plans and stuff like that. Um, but it's pretty great. I mean, it's a completely mobile solution, totally independent of whatever technological capacity is there other than you need a projector. You're going to love iOS 11 so much, Teddy. <laughs> I can tell you. <laughs> you know, I actually, I installed it on my iPad Pro for like four hours and then it crashed very hard and I had to do a full restore. But those four hours were really excellent. Yeah, I, I have I have it on one of my iPads. I have two iPads and knock on wood, I, I have not had the debilitating crashes that some of my friends have had, uh, which surprises me because usually I, I run blindly into these crashes, but I just <laughs> haven't had it. So it's been working okay. And actually the, the one I'm running on in it now is the new 10.5 inch. And it's just, it, it really is peanut butter and chocolate. Those two things belong together. So uh, I, I am also eagerly waiting additional betas, you know, the betas two, three, four, when, when it gets a little more stable. Uh, and I don't have to like worry every time I turn it on, but was it a glorious four hours? <laughs> it was really, really great. Like in terms of productivity, I can't, I'm so excited. The, the, there's one little thing that makes me a little concerned about the new multitasking interface, which I think is generally fantastic with respect to my own workflows. So my workflows focus on there being a main app that's always active, like good notes or keynote. And the side app switches a lot. So I switch to um, Keynote Remote. I use Omni Outliner if I have notes about students I want to call on or things that I want to make sure I remember. So I'm constantly switching that side app. And with this new way of dealing with two apps as kind of a space instead of two separate apps that you can you know switch between pretty quickly. Do you know? Do, do, do you see what I'm saying? That makes me a little nervous about my particular workflow and how easily I can switch the side app without having too much trouble with the main app. 
Well, listeners are going to hear about this when it when it ships and we do a whole show on it. But I'll tell you right now, the thing that I have quickly gravitated to is my dock on my iPad is very full. Uh, it's start, it's going to start looking more like a Mac. You're going to put a ton of apps in your dock because that that's what solves the problem. So the problem it, it, Teddy's having is you want that second screen before you just scrolled through the most recent screens and pick the one that you wanted. Now the trick is you just go down to the dock and you drag up the one. So you need to have the most frequently accessed apps in the dock. And that's the reason why I think you can get like 15 apps in that dock right now. Uh, this is early days in the beta and things may change, but but that's the workaround that seems to solve the problem. That makes a lot of sense. I could see that that totally works. Plus, I think unless they're going to change it after this first beta, you can actually have three apps on the screen at the same time because you can also have a pop up like a slide over or whatever app, which is amazing. Yeah, hopefully that sticks. Hopefully that sticks. I really hope so. So, but so it sounds like that 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 workflow is still working out for you though. But you you've substituted the Mac in. Um, um, which is interesting, but I guess that makes sense for the technology you're using. It was it was even cooler though when you could do it off a phone. <laughs> to admit. Totally, yeah, and and I still do sometimes just in case, like if I'm sort of on the rush on the run and I'm working on the keynote slides on my phone coming to class, I'll use that instead. Now I understand you're using numbers more now too. Yeah, so this is the thing that is brand new from the past year, um, which is that in my class because there is so much content, I have to be really careful about how much time I spend on each section. And, you know, I want a lot of student participation and all of that. So I can't just rehearse it and then move on. So instead, I used to just write down kind of a estimate for how much time I wanted to spend on each section. And I would just keep that on an index card or something um, near me while I was while I was teaching. What I've done now is I have a template in numbers, in which I paste in every section of my class of my presentation and a rough estimate for how much time I want to spend on it. And then I enter in the starting time of the class and it kind of fills in the column with what time I should move on to each section. Yeah. So you're doing, you're doing time math in a spreadsheet. Right. Exactly. So I just, I just put how many minutes I want to spend and then it just adds it to the previous item and, and does that. And so once I get it all figured out to how much I want to spend for my 75 minute class, then I can copy the the two columns of the titles of the sections and the time I should move on to them. And I run this workflow that imports each line as a reminder so that once I'm teaching, whenever it's time to go on to the next section, on the top of the screen, a little reminder comes down. And it's not one that I have to interact with, but it is one that's persistent. So it doesn't it doesn't go away after some period of time. It doesn't auto dismiss. Yes, exactly. And so this is sort of relates to that, the show you had with Mike Hurley about persistent notifications. Um, whenever I glance down, I can see that it says, oh, you should move on to the next thing. Or three minutes ago, you thought you should move on to the next thing. And that is kind of a prompt for me to keep going. And I found that to be really invaluable, not even in teaching, but even just in presenting. Um, I think any anyone doing presentations could really use this. And it's been like, it's a really subtle reminder to just kind of poke you to make sure that you're staying on task, even if you're allowed to kind of get distracted with side conversations and participation and stuff like that. So just to go through the, the mechanics of it, so you, you create the, the, the data in the Apple Numbers app on your iPad? Yep. And then you just copy the data. Then when you say you create a workflow, you're talking about the workflow app. 
that you're using. Yes. It's so hard to get that right, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I sometimes wish they would just call it something different that's like distinct. Uh, on, on workflow, by the way, I was up at um, WWDC and and met some of the workflow team. And, and the one thing they kept repeating to me is they're like, please don't tell people to stop using the app. It is going to be supported. You know, we will continue to make it work. And uh, I think when they first got bought by Apple, a lot of people thought, well, that's that. And this thing's going to be tumbleweeds. Uh, they have a full-time person assigned to customer support on that app. I mean, it's it's still a, a viable product. So I'm glad that anybody that are listening, don't, don't turn your ears off for workflow. It's still awesome. David, I'm s- so glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah that that is a public service announcement on behalf of work. I'm, I'm I'm very worried about that too because so much of my stuff these days, if I need to do something quick like what I'm describing, I just make a quick workflow for it. Yeah, I was surprised that they told me even that much. I think it hasn't sunk in for them yet that they work for Apple. You know, they're not supposed to say anything. <laughs> right. But they uh, but they said, yeah, no, really, we we're really trying to keep it, you know, good, and we have, you know, the powers that be have said keep this app working. And the thing that impressed me is they have a full time person assigned to customer support. So if you have a workflow question, it's not like you're just dialing into one eight hundred Apple and not getting, you know, anywhere. So uh, they're they're still pushing it. Um, the uh. But then, then the actual workflow that you created, so I'm guessing it's just, it grabs the text since it's two columns, it's grabbing the time and the text and then creating a variable uh, for the text and creating a notification based on the time. Is that the, the basic gist of it? Yeah. So, and then it just cycles through each line in the, in the um, list. And I used to have it kick me out to Fantastical each time so I could use the Fantastical sort of natural language stuff to make it work. But then I realized that they build in some pretty good interpretation of time and date and stuff into Workflow itself. So I actually use Workflow's built-in reminders function, and it does all of it in like literally one second. It just imports them all into reminders into a particular list that I have called class, and it's all ready for class. Have you published that anywhere? Um, I haven't. I linked in. I linked to the um, numbers template in our in our document and in the numbers template there's a link to the workflow itself so i haven't published it yet but we can share it with the listeners for sure great 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 um that is uh, one of the things you can do in workflow that a lot of folks don't realize is you can very precisely set a time or date format there's an actual step for that and and that's that's a golden if you're using anything that's date related like when i make the workflow that creates the OmniFocus project for uh, episode of Mac Power users. Yeah, I reformat the dates so everything's on the right, you know, up and up, and it allows the uh, the workflow to run without any problem. Yeah, so this using these notifications has been absolutely huge for me. the The only downside that I've encountered is that for the reminders to show up, you can have Do Not Disturb on, and I'm I was used to using Do Not Disturb whenever I was going to teach, so instead. On my iPad, this again relates to that notifications episode with Mike, um, I turn off basically every notification other than reminders um, so that I don't get bothered by other stuff. And any notifications that I actually need to get, I usually will get on my watch anyway. So I'm okay having that be the default notification system in my iPad. Yeah. And because you're in presenter mode, the audience doesn't see it anyway. Exactly. Again, and I can even swipe down from Notification Center and check out Fantastical to get a quick summary of what the schedule is for that class if I want to be reminded or anything like that. Nice. 
I, I wish they do did have uh, more granular controls over notifications. We talked about it before WWDC, and we really didn't get any love on that. But no, there was so much other good stuff. I'm not. I don't want to complain, but the um, <laughs> maybe that leaves something for next year. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, part of it isn't. <laughs> Uh, it's an incentive to get a second iPad, one just for presenting or teaching, where you can set the notifications just for that. But we'll see. I'm envisioning you with like a whole like panel of iPads, Teddy. Just <laughs> in in all sincerity, I have thought about that because so whenever I'm teaching, especially if there are two screens, I have the main screen, the side screens. I have my Omni Outliner that has little notes for myself. Um, I might have also this polling software going. There are all these different things that I have going. So having an additional screen with just information that I can refer to from time to time actually would be pretty nice. The only downside would be ridicule for my students, but I'm coming to accept that. You're probably getting that anyway. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, especially because um, I mentioned this last time I was on. I have a literal strap that, that keeps my... Uh, iPad attached to my hand, so I have some students call it my bionic arm. Yeah, well, hey, I bet they love it though. At the end of the day, I bet they love it. The Mac Power users are sponsored by Jamf. Manage your Apple devices from anywhere and get your first three devices free. Just go to Jamf J A M F dot com slash MPU. When you first start your business, it's pretty easy to keep track of your own computer and phone. But as you grow and start to buy more tech for your employees, it gets harder to keep track of everyone's Macs, iPhones, and iPads. One solution is to hire an IT pro, but that's expensive and frankly doesn't give you the same degree of information you'd have if you manage it yourself. The trick is finding an easy way for you to manage it yourself, and that's exactly what Jamf provides. Jamf has an easy-to-manage interface where you can control and manage all of the Macs, iPads, and iPhones you distribute. Using Jamf, you can configure settings, protect sensitive information, and even lock or wipe a device. The best part is you can do this from absolutely anywhere. Pretend you're on vacation in Hawaii and your salesperson just tells you that she lost her phone and it has all of your customer contacts information. No worries. With Jamf, you just log on and wipe the device and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. Jamf now secures your stuff so you can focus on your business instead. There's no IT experience required. It's easy to manage and run. You can find out more and create your own free account today at jamf.com slash MPU. And because you listen to this show, you'll be able to start securing your business immediately by registering your first three devices for free. To add more, it's just two bucks a month per device. Jamf's a great service at a great price. So go create a free account at jamf.com slash MPU that's J-A-M-F dot com slash MPU and start managing your Apple devices yourself. My thanks to Jam for supporting the Mac Power users. All right. So you were teasing me earlier about this polling. What are you talking about? Yeah. So um, I think I think a lot of people maybe have encountered clickers at some point in their educational background. So these sort of little... Uh, they look kind of like little calculators and you hand them out in class. And then you, if you want to ask a multiple choice question about, you know, what does the class think about this particular question or try this practice problem and they can vote that way. And it just shows you how everybody voted. Um, so clickers have sort of become a common thing, especially in a lot of uh, hard science classes. And it's a thing that I think is really, really helpful, especially the, the kind of classes that I teach are, 
you know, 50 to 70 students. So it's hard to um, get enough engagement from everyone. And so having the, having an, the opportunity to kind of get the temperature of the classroom with polling is really huge pedagogically. Um, and so recently I switched to an online service called Poll Everywhere, which is kind of like clickers, except people use their own devices as the clicker. Um, they just go to a single persistent URL and then you can change what question shows up at that URL. And then they can vote either on a multiple choice question, they can input free response, they can tap on a image on a certain location in the image, they can rank things. So there are all kinds of new interesting ways you can um, get engagement from the class pedagogically with this that you don't get with clickers. Um, so generally, it's, it's it's a really nice service that's worth checking out there. I think there are a couple of them like it, but Pull Everywhere has really worked out for me. So and that just works like on HTML basis. It's not an app. Yeah, it's, so they have an app, but it's just kind of a web wrapper. So I really just use the the um, web page. Although they do have a thing on only on computers. Well, I don't know how to say computers. Only on laptops and desktops, um, where it'll sh it'll overlay a poll on your PowerPoint or Keynote slides. And so that's kind of why I switched to using a MacBook for my side screens was that I could have a Poll Everywhere poll be in a Keynote presentation in a way that I just can't do from the iPad. I'm super interested. How are they doing that? It's this really weird hacky thing where they're like literally putting a visual shape like on top of your Keynote presentation. It just looks like a static image, but once you're actually running it, there's a helper application that kind of creates an HTML coding around it. It's it it is very hacky and it doesn't it it feels funny for me to do it, but for 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 students don't seem to notice the difference. It just kind of becomes a poll on the screen instead of the whatever slide you're using. Um, but as a result, I can't imagine it ever coming in earnest to iOS. So if I if I don't have two screens and I'm just running it from iOS. I'll use a, an internet browser called Perfect Browser, which has a presentation mode, and I'll just project a web page that has the poll on it instead of having it embedded in Keynote. So now, and because it's HTML-based, anybody, whether, no matter what device they've got, they can, they can register the poll. They don't have to be using Apple devices. Exactly. And you can even, if people don't have smartphones, um, they can actually text their response to a number and it'll show up. And so... What I like to do as an instructor is I'll ask the question and I'll have people vote or type in text or whatever, and then I'll take a look at it without showing it to them yet, because sometimes instead of just showing them how they all responded, I want them to discuss with one another first or for, or, or something like that. Um, and so what's nice is that with Poll Everywhere, you can I can look at the results of the poll without my students seeing them using a side screen app i'll like see how the poll kind of resulted and then i can adjust how i'm going to teach based on how they respond which is a really nice way to be adaptive in like a large presentation setting you know one of my daughters had a math teacher who would have kids they had a green card and a red card and maybe this is you've heard of this before but you know, these are like elementary kids and if they didn't understand it she just have them hold up their cards so they didn't have to show each other Oh, that's great. And she, she she just see, oh, there's a lot of red cards. I need to go over this again. Or if they're all green cards, she would move on. And um, this is kind of like that, I guess, but, but a lot te more techie. Actually, yeah, that's a really nice, you know, sort of low tech way of doing it. Um, 
an, an alternative to pull everywhere that I've experimented with is this thing called Plickers with a P. And basically what you do is you hand out these cards that are QR codes, basically. And depending on how you hold the QR code up, it's either A, B, C, or D, depending on its orientation. And then you walk around the classroom with a, with a companion app on your phone, and it scans them all and tells you how people are voting. Um, so it's like a little difficult to do because you have to literally like walk around the room and make sure your phone is looking at every QR code. But it does it pretty quickly and is like kind of a nice, uh, a nice way to get more than just a binary response. You can get up to four responses this way. Um, so Plickers is something I've played with as well. Wow. You know, as a, as a trial lawyer, I would love to have been able to use something like that. <laughs> if you think the other expert Absolutely. witness is a bozo, just go ahead and click so, so we can all see. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I think there's a lot of uses for that, I would think, really. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, even if you're not a teacher, but you just give presentations to rooms of people for whatever reason, being able to do this is really really helpful i mean it's it's so far from just narrating uh bullet points on a slide and clicking through it it gets people engaged in a way that in an honest way that they might not be willing to do if it wasn't anonymous right so people can actually like type in their opinion and not worry about people identifying them as the person that wrote that um and it can turn that into word clouds it can make tickers it's like all the all these cool ways of showing it um that i think gets people pretty engaged now, now, when you say it's a, a unique URL, do you get to use the same URL throughout the semester or do you have to have a new one every class? Yeah, so you can you can change your URL um, as long as it's not taken. So I have polev.com slash Tedsvo, which is my Twitter handle. And every class I say go to poll everywhere and people have bookmarked polev.com slash Tedsvo. And then I just activate whichever question I want it to broadcast and it'll broadcast that question. So you have this persistent one that you get to keep. Nice. So that makes it easy for them to continue to use it. Yeah, exactly. And if they if they decide to make it, they don't have to have an account. They could just go to that URL. But if they decide to make one, then it also saves their response history. So they can refer, but they can like look at the handout and say, oh, what did I actually say for that question? And they can go back and look. Nice. Uh, any other changes to your gear for your, your presentations? Um, so I have started to, a couple things. I, um, attach a magnet to my pencil, to my Apple pencil. It's sort of a little sleeve with a magnet on it. Um, it's pretty cheap. It's like $10. And that has made it so that if I'm not writing, if I'm just kind of trying to talk to the class, I can basically stick it onto the iPad and walk around with it stuck there without having to sort of hold it in my hand. And what's nice about the one that I use, and I put an Amazon link um, in the show notes, is it comes with sort of a little thin magnetic sticker that you can even stick to some part of your iPad, and it creates kind of like a little docking place for the pencil. Um, and so I really like that a lot. It's been super helpful just to kind of keep it stored. The downside is that I can't get one of those cool new very expensive iPad sleeves with the pencil slot because the uh, the magnet sleeve kind of gets too bulky, unfortunately. But besides that, I'm a big fan of it. I, you know, I saw one of those sleeves at WWDC and I'm not totally sold on it. <laughs> the, uh, oh, really? Yeah, the, uh, it's it's kind of big because they make it big enough that you can put a um, a keyboard, you know, the, the, the smart keyboard on it and also put that in the sleeve. 
but so but then if you put it in without the the mat the was it the magic keyboard it it's slides around in there a little bit i'm not i'm not so sure about it oh interesting i ended up getting one of those um sf bags ones i think you might have even written about it once so we'll see we'll see how that yeah, works. I'm, I'm a fan of their stuff um but speaking of the keyboard i've i've now taken my smart keyboard with me to class and i kind of leave it on the sort of podium where I, I tend to walk around the class a lot but there's still a podium and so i keep the smart keyboard there kind of ready to accept an ipad so that if somebody is giving an answer to a question in a way that I think is really good and I want to make sure I type it all exactly and my handwriting is poor enough that if I start writing quickly no one can read it which I'm very sorry about to my students um I can just walk back to the podium quickly dock the iPad and just start typing um so that's really great I I continue to be a big fan of the smart keyboard yeah it it really it like it just gets the job done in a way that is very um, out of the way. And I really, I really appreciate that. Um, and in terms of the apps I use, I'm still very much a good notes person. I had a little, I had problems with good notes earlier this year because the iCloud sync kind of wasn't working very well, but, um, I was talking to the developer after WWDC and he said that he sort of met with the engineers and figured out what the issue was. So syncing is going to come back to, to the good notes app, which I'm very happy about. But it's still like I keep trying to switch to other ones to see, especially when the iCloud sync wasn't working. I tried Notability and all these other ones, and I just keep coming back to to Good Notes. I'm a huge, huge fan of it. Yeah, that that's one. I think Good Notes and Notability are the two most popular that we hear from from listeners, and and there's there's pluses and minuses with each of them. Like Notability, I believe you can have custom template so you can like if you want the background to be a custom look but but good notes everybody loves it for the handwriting stuff the handwriting stuff is really good um and notability doesn't have a presentation mode which means that i just can't use it so if i have that and another app side by side and i project to an apple tv it'll show my entire ipad screen still using omni outliner quite a bit especially with the side screen stuff um i try to kind of whenever I go to class have a sense of who I'd like to call on based on how they're doing in the class what their background is you know their previous jobs before they got to the Kennedy school trying to like really focus who I'm calling on in a way that's more deliberate and less just whoever has their hands up and so I use Omni Outliner a lot as just kind of a record for when you get to this section remember that this person you know worked at this place and so might actually be a good person to call on and so that's a really big part of, I think, insofar as I'm able to teach effectively, I think Omni Outliner is a huge part of just being able to give me the information I need in a way that's very easily collapsible. Um, because I can just keep it as the side app and it, you know, rewraps the text as I, as I change the size of the side screen and it manages that perfectly. I mean, you plan out who you're going to call on. Where were you when I was in law school, Teddy? <laughs> uh, so I, it's, a, it's a thing that, that I'd like... I think I'd like to do more than I do, but, you know, it's a really big part of, I think, making class effective is being able to understand not just, you know, does somebody know the answer, but trying to make sure that people are growing and learning at their own pace. And so being able to decide who to call on based on that, I think, can really, you know, change the experience for a lot of people. So I do my best to, to do that. When I was in first year law school, they, you know, first year law school, they, it's just horrible. They put like this huge number of people in a room and 
completely random, but, but there's always two or three, especially in law school, right? Cause they're lawyers. They, um, people who always want to talk, like, I, I don't know why some of them weren't even particularly high in class ranking, but they always wanted to talk. And we used to do this thing where we would, we had a, like a mimeograph cause you know, this is the early nineties. <laughs> we had a thing where, um, we had, it looks like a horse track, you know, <laughs> with little squares. Uh-huh. And at lunch we, we'd pick who, you know, each one of us would pick a person and every time that person raised their hand in class or, or was called upon, we would check off that person and whoever had that person and made it around the track first. Everybody had to buy that guy at lunch the next day. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to keep these interesting. Oh yeah. That was our engagement. That was our polling method. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, you're not just teaching in class. You, you also do things after class. Um, but let's talk about that right after this. I want to take a moment and thank our longtime sponsor, 1Password. 1Password saves you time and makes you more secure by filling in logins, shopping carts, and long forms with a single tap or click. 1Password can give you peace of mind for yourself and your family, and it can help you secure everything that you need for your business by helping you and your teammates keep all of your logins secure. You can learn more by heading over to onepassword.com slash MPU, and that's in all caps, and get a special offer for Mac Power users listeners. Now, we all know that one of the best ways that you can protect your security is by using strong, unique passwords across all of your various sites and services. And one of the easiest ways to do that is using a password manager like OnePassword. In fact, I will admit to you that I don't even know what any of my passwords are except my OnePassword password because they're all safely secured in OnePassword. Now, if you are traveling abroad this summer, you may be a little nervous about traveling with all of your passwords in one password because maybe you've got to cross a border and maybe you're a little nervous about having to give up one of your devices. Well, one password has got your back here because they have introduced a new feature called travel mode. And this works with anybody who has a one password membership. It protects your one password data from any unwanted searches when you travel. When you turn on travel mode, every vault will be removed from your devices except those that you've specifically marked safe for travel. And all it takes is a single click to travel with confidence. This is just one of the many recent innovations that 1Password has added to their software and service. You can also use features like Security Audit, which will help you and your teammates take charge of your online safety, highlight any passwords which may have been weak or reused in multiple places, or the Watchtower feature, which will tell you about security breaches on websites that you have saved in 1Password, so you know when it's time to go change your passwords to various sites. More ways that 1Password continues to innovate and why you should go check them out over at onepassword.com slash MPU. Thanks to 1Password for their longtime support of Mac Power users. So what um, what tech are you using after you finish the lecture? Sure. So um, the biggest thing that I do after every class is I try to write a reflection on how it went. And... Most of this is for me. If I'm going to teach the same class next year or anything like that, it'd be really good to know what went well and what didn't, what I should keep in mind next time. And I think, again, this is applicable to anyone that gives similar presentations to different audiences and things like that. Keeping a record of what worked and what didn't is really important. So when I when I get out, get back from class, I very quickly run, again, a workflow workflow um, that creates an entry in Ulysses, which is my app of choice for keeping these reflections. Um, 
and it has a certain template. It has headings for general comments, what went well, what needs improvement. Uh, but another thing that I do is that you remember I copied that table from numbers to make my reminders for the presentation. Um, I copy that again, that same table, and I use a, a, a portion of a workflow that Federico Vitici shared a little while ago that turns a spreadsheet table into a markdown table. And so before I run this workflow, I copy that table and then run the workflow and it adds to the bottom of that Ulysses sheet a markdown version of the table, which has the name of each section and what time I wanted to move on. And then in class, because it's a big enough course, I get to um, I get help from course assistants, which is which are students who took the course last year who are helping out with problem set grading and stuff like that. And one of them, each class, is noting what time I moved on to the next section. So then I have this additional column in my Ulysses sheet that's not just how much, what time I move, what time I was supposed to move on to the next section, and what time I actually moved on to the next section. And so then next time I go back to teach that class, I can see, oh, I actually ended up needing a lot more time or a lot less time for that section than I thought. And so I have this really nicely formatted markdown table comparing my aspirations for the class and then what actually happened. The the ability to automate Ulysses and and just generally its its willingness to work with Markdown, I just feel like that app has really taken off in the last couple of years for a lot of people, myself included. Um, are are you using Ulysses for anything else, or is that the main use for it? Uh, so I I take I do all my reflections in Ulysses, and I do also some Markdown writing in it. But honestly. This is the main thing I use it for, for the reason that you're describing. It's able to make this fully automated um, sort of reflection template so that when I get back from class, I don't have to muck around making sure it's exactly as I want. It's all sort of ready for me, and I can just immediately focus on remembering what went well and what didn't. Um, and that's really, really awesome. Another thing about Ulysses that I think is great is... Um, you know, in, in addition to being able to insert images into a Ulysses sheet, you can kind of attach an image to the Ulysses sheet that is just kind of like part of the reference material. And that includes PDFs. So I actually include an annotated version of the class I just had, the PDF I just taught from with all of my GoodNotes annotations. And I attach that there too. So that again, when I go back to see how it was going, to see how it went last year, I can actually refer back to the content itself um, in a way that I wouldn't be able to with, you know, some other Markdown app. So the fact that Ulysses also lets you bundle actual visual media, including full multi-page PDFs, is pretty huge for me as well. Yeah, the first time I realized it did that, I was really shocked because it's, you know, the whole thing about Ulysses is it's a simple text editor, right, that does Markdown. But what they do is actually encode images into ones and zeros using text it's the i mean it's kind of ingenious the way they do it it's really awesome and it works every time i mean it's uh i, I guess if you're listening to this and you haven't tried ulysses lately you should because it, there's just a lot that you can do with this app one one of the things that's that has happened recently that has made ulysses even more useful for me is that um my node started uh supporting the text bundle format, which is what Ulysses uses to bundle those images in with the text. And so I can actually now, in the same way, I remember way back when, David, you wrote about 
switching between Omni Outliner and MindNode in a, an article for Macworld like a long, long time yeah, ago. OPML, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So this actually lets me kind of dance between Ulysses and MindNode as I'm planning different, different uh, parts of my classes or things like that. Um, so supporting that, that format has now kind of allowed for very easy shuttling between the two apps. Yeah, my note is a, as an occasional sponsor of the show, but this is editorial. I mean, that it, it's a very good app for working with Ulysses. And, and not only that, I think the design aesthetic is very similar. I mean, it's it's simple, easy to use. It's got enough power, but it doesn't like overwhelm you. It's just a nice uh, it's a nice mix. Those two. Now, now, when you said you've got uh, students in the class or, or assistants tracking what time you actually spend on these do you have a way to automate getting the actual the field data into the table or do you just do you just type that in so i just type it in i've, I've experimented with ways of letting this my students themselves my course assistants themselves enter it in but a lot of them prepare prefer paper so they just take a handout and scribble it on and so i just manually do it i guess you could do it with a uh, if you made a shared number spreadsheet and um and just shared the document with them, they could put in, you could add a third column, I guess is what I'd say. Yeah, that would, that would be, that would be perfect. And then from there, you could automate that into workflow. And, and we're going to put the link for that workflow, by the way, in the show notes. So we're going to have you guys that are interested in this stuff. Teddy's been very generous about sharing some of his workflows. So you can, you can play with this stuff. What about the, uh, the PDF stuff? You, I know you're doing a lot with PDFs these days too. Yeah, um, this is a thing that I, uh, this is an, again another workflow that I man, I did in, I actually like got a lot of help from the workflow people to figure this out, but I learned that the short, the short, the short of it is you can append and prepend your own homemade PDF text onto other PDFs now in a way that is automated and great. And I don't just mean you give it a page and then another page and it sticks them together. You can give it markdown and it'll turn it into a PDF to markdown page and then append that or prepend that to an existing document. And so the the way that I use this is I like to, at least recently, um, I've started posting my annotated handouts onto my course website in addition to, so the way my class works is that there are these handouts that all the students get and there's a lot of blank space in them for the students to kind of fill out. And I also want to kind of make the stuff that I wrote in class available to them as well, in case that's helpful. Um, but I don't want them to see what I write on the, the handout in class as the single definitive thing and a substitute for them actually writing and figuring things out for themselves. So I wanted to add a um, sort of disclaimer to the beginning of every PDF that I post saying that basically a little spiel on, you know, I, th I see pedagogical value in you guys writing this stuff for yourself. So don't treat this as, you know, a textbook, treat this as a reference. Um, and so what I have now happening with workflow is I have that bunch of text. I take the class number from the file name of the PDF that I annotated and by the way, the annotated PDF gets automatically saved to Dropbox by GoodNotes. It creates a, a backup in Dropbox of all my annotated PDFs. So I, it's, I select a PDF or set of PDFs. It takes the PDF, extracts the class number from the file name, inserts that into some markdown text about the importance of doing your own work, turns that into a formatted PDF page, 
prepends that to the annotated PDF and then saves that new thing to a different place in Dropbox, all in like 10 seconds. It's unbelievable. Um, and doing so allows me to share this work with students in a way that would require a ton of work, if not for specifically workflow. I don't even know how I would do this well in automated or anything like that. Yeah, the, the workflow allows you to do some things on iOS faster than you can do them on the Mac. And that's something that you got to wrap your head around if you haven't yet. Yeah. When I get back from class, I frequently will be doing stuff on my Mac. And then I say, oh, I got to like do, for example, get ready, get, get my PDF prepared for posting. And I have to switch to my iPad. I just can't do it on the Mac. Right. Several times a day I have, there's a reason why my iPad when I'm at my Mac is, is, is right next to the screen because I'm constantly picking it up to run workflows. Um, a, a couple, just to get nerdy for a minute. Um, so when you say pre-pin, cause I've never used that feature. Is it adding a page to the front of the document or is it just dropping text on top of the PDF? It literally, it, it, it well, so in this, in this workflow, I'm creating a new PDF page. Okay. And then saving that as a variable and then saying, put this page before all the other pages of this other PDF. Um, since workflow, just before it got acquired, it added a bunch of pretty intense Dropbox actions. Um, I had to do this at all at the same time for like 15 different classes. And the, one of the new Dropbox actions lets you act on multiple PDFs at once. So I can select like 15 classes worth of PDFs and it does this exact thing to all of them and saves them somewhere else all in bulk. And, and then you probably watch your iPad dance around for a little while. <laughs> exactly. There's a little spinner and then eventually it appears. Yeah. The, the One of the things that I think the people at Apple didn't realize when they made the iOS operating system is that people are going to automate it. I mean, I mean, I don't think work, nobody imagined workflow when they were designing a lot of the, the user interface. As a result, when you use workflow, quite often your screen will jump across to different apps and things will happen. It'll just look like it's going haywire on you for a minute as it runs all these scripts. The, um, uh, I, I wish that at some point Apple would acknowledge that, you know, we can do background actions and allow you to do stuff where you didn't have to see all that happening. But the, uh, but the, but the, the workflow stuff with, with, with Dropbox is I think really important because if you do that manually, the only way you can do an iOS is to manually drill down multiple times. Now that's, that's going to change in iOS 11 and, and it's going to change for the better, but, but I'm glad that, you know, you can automate it now around it. Yeah, and you, you could even have it if if you want to have a doc picker of Dropbox, which I have to do because I have to pick a pick which class I want to do this to every time, you can have it start from a directory. So when I run this workflow, it gives me a file picker, but it's starting at the GoodNotes backup folder where GoodNotes is automatically backing up my annotated PDFs. And alternatively, if you knew exactly where it was going to go every time, they were going to go to one Maybe you put it in one folder and you have a Hazel thing, you know, look at the class name or whatever to auto sort for you. You could do it that way as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, all all this is really huge. And um I think my students are quite happy with it too, because part of the you know, part of the pedagogical value of of what I'm describing is getting people to actually do these things in class together, but then especially because in my classes, or if I'm going to India, for example, sometimes I'm talking too fast. I tend to talk a little too fast. And so people miss part of the things that I write. Um, 
And so this is a way to actually get people information to refer to later, which I think could actually be useful for, again, presenters in non-teaching environments. I wish this stuff was available when I was in school. I, I know I say this every time you come on the show, but man, it's just, it's, it's evolved so much. Yeah. And every, I mean, I get so excited about WWDC because every time I'm looking at these keynotes, I'm like thinking of all these cool things I can try out. Um, and it's really a blast. So do you, you had told me that you're using my, my script Nebo. Are you still doing that? I am. So, um, my scripts engine handwriting engine is amazing. It's the same. It's the engine that GoodNotes uses actually for its handwriting recognition. Um, so sometimes if I just want to, like if I'm journaling in for Ulysses or in day one or something, I'll, I'll go to Nebo first and write a bunch and then export just the text um, to day one or Ulysses or whatever. Uh, so that's really good. But another thing that Nebo does, um, two other things it does is that it does equations very well. So if you work in LaTeX or anything like that, it'll give you the math code for any equation that you write. And then a new thing that I've been really impressed by is you can diagram in MyScript Nebo and like write a word and circle it and it'll turn into a circled, you know, item and then draw an arrow to another square and it'll create a connection between the circle and the square. And then you press this button and it turns it all into very clean, nice squares and circles and arrows. And very, very recently, like in the past couple of weeks, they updated the app so that if you export that to Word or PowerPoint, it'll be an editable diagram. Like each of the items will be separate items. Um, so you can continue to kind of like flesh out whatever diagram you want, whereas you're starting from a more kind of creative point of handwriting different things and circling different things. So it's a really, really nice workflow. I kind of wish it could export to something like OmniGraffle, but um, I'll take it exporting to Word or PowerPoint as a start. Yeah. And, and just for folks who don't know, MyScript Nebo is an app um, where it uses the handwriting engine and it gives you a full page. Now, MyScript also has a separate app called MyScript Stylus. Uh, have you ever played with that one? I have, and I used to use it a lot because it gives you kind of a, a keyboard that's handwriting-based. And literally this week, I emailed them saying, hey, you have, guys haven't updated your app since like 2015. Is it still being developed? And they said, no, we're done. Oh, really? That's too bad because it still works. Yeah, it, it works pretty well. Um, I find that with Nebo a lot of the gestures and stuff work a lot better. So I was kind of hoping they would take what they were learning from Nebo, which they released a lot more recently and apply it back to Stylus. And it doesn't sound like that's the case. Yeah. And like sometimes, I don't know, I'm just weird, but sometimes I'm just sitting on the couch and I'm, I'll even like work in OmniFocus with the MyScript Stylus keyboard. Um, my biggest complaint against it is the, the little globe icon is in a location where if you're not careful, you can accidentally tap it and then get out of the keyboard, which is not good. Um, but the but overall it works pretty well. I, I remember it was at WWC and Federico uh, Vitici was using my iPad and and the MyScript Stylus keyboard came up and he looked at me like I came from the moon or something. He was I think he was mad, <laughs> you know. But the uh, once in a while just to to write is nice. But but so I'm not sure we can recommend the Stylus app. Uh, it's a, it's a keyboard replacement. It's kind of like the old. Um, so it's, it's really like, you know, the old, uh, PDA format where you write across the bottom and then the text shows up in whatever app you're in. Um, I don't know if there's a better one out there. If anybody out there knows of, I'm sure there's some other people in this space, but, but their Nebo app, like 
Teddy was saying is it's a full on app. You just handwrite in it and it, it converts your handwriting to text. I really wish Apple would get into it because the, the scribble function on the Apple watch is I think great. It works super well for me. So I wish they would just go ahead and make it so that within, you know, system wide, you could just have a handwriting mode on the iPad. Part of me wonders if it's like just kind of, you know, like a cultural, you know, memory of the Newton and how much Steve hated the Newton and like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, Yeah, no, that's a good point. Maybe. I don't know, but you know, it's like, you know, the, the, the Apple pencil didn't show up until after Steve was gone. (laughs) That's right. And and occasionally people say, well, you know, that we have the Apple pencil. I'd like to be able to take notes, especially on the, the larger size iPhone. It's like a reporter's pad. It fits in your pocket and you could pull it out and write notes on it. And I just, I feel like culturally inside Apple, there's just part of them that is very resistant to allowing you to write on the, the, the iPhone ever. It's true. I, I've definitely, uh, accidentally tried to write on my iPhone with my pencil and was very sad every time. Any other, uh, software services helping you with that, those workflows? Yeah. So as I, as I think has probably been made clear in this call, um, I'm using my iPad so 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 much yeah that's one thing i'm getting in the last year it sounds like you've really moved a lot towards the ipad yeah and on like workflow is honestly a huge part of it because it's just enabled a bunch of stuff but um you know having my office and my nice big imac there i find myself continuously going back to the ipad and i imagine that ios 11 will will only make that more so um but i still do need to go back to my computer sometimes and often i'm on my ipad already so i want to just do a remote desktop thing and I like using Screens, which is, I think, an app that you guys have talked about, um, which is a really nice remote desktop solution. So you can log into your Mac from your iPad and just, you know, do whatever you need to do. But unfortunately, for enterprise networks and university networks, Screens really just doesn't work. And I've tried to ask them if there are different things that they can do. And they said, honestly, if... Yeah, punch a hole for you or something. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, if the port's not open, it's not open. We can't do anything about it. Um, and for whatever reason, Parallels, the maker of the, you know, the Windows virtual machine stuff, Parallels has a, has a remote desktop solution called Parallels Access that for reasons I don't understand work perfectly well in, in, in enterprise networks. And so I subscribe to Parallels Access. It's not too much money uh, per year. I think it's like $20 a year or something. And um, I can remote connect to any of my computers, no matter where they are. And it's it's some it sometimes tries to like kind of fit the app into a way that fits your res the, the resolution of your iPad better. It's got all these nice little uh, kind of features to it. I still prefer screens if I can help it, but given that I'm working at a university, Parallels Access is actually quite good for remote desktop stuff. It also oh it also lets you um, access the files of your computer without going into the whole GUI. You can just kind of have like a little directory and and download and upload stuff directly to the computer nice and then are you how do you how are you sharing the clipboard between the ipad and the mac and all the devices yeah so uh especially when i'm preparing for class making you know often i'm making a handout and pages a side screen presentation and keynote and making the plan for the class timing with numbers and so often i'll have one of those apps on my ipad and one and two of them on my mac and I've been using the universal clipboard thing that they introduced in iOS 10 to just copy and paste content text 
images, whatever, between devices. And it's kind of like AirDrop. When it works, it just, it's amazing and it feels great and it was super fast. And then when it doesn't work, you're just so, so, so annoyed because you're just pressing paste over and over again and hoping that this time when you press paste, it'll paste the content from the other device. Um, and sometimes it just doesn't happen. So I'm hoping that that gets better with this next suite of uh, operating system updates. But Universal Clipboard, at least in principle, is something that I really like using. Yeah, I, there's an app I use called Copied, C-O-P-I-E-D. And they've got a version for the Mac and version for the phone and uh, an iPad. And it does a, a really good job. I believe it uses, I, I know I'm using iCloud as the back-end sync engine on it. And and the nice thing about that is because I'm not necessarily sitting near the other devices when I start saving to this copied clipboard history, but I may work on the iPad in the morning at the coffee shop. And then when I get back to the Mac later, I want to access that thing I, I copied four hours ago and it's in there. And I've they, and they, they, that app actually goes a lot deeper. You can have like um, pasteboards of commonly used stuff. You can almost use it as a text expansion tool. Um, but I, I really like just the idea of this pers- uh, persistent clipboard across all of my devices. And I, I just, it's one of those apps where they just go farther than Apple would ever be willing to go with it. And I suspect I'll be using that app for a long time. I, yeah, I actually use Copied as well, but I use it like you're describing for kind of text expansion. I have separate lists with, you know, form content for various types of emails or things like that. And I just refer to that from time to time. One of the things that copy does really well, this is kind of getting back to your problem with my script stylus is as a third party keyboard, they've implemented this thing where if you tap and hold on the globe icon, it kind of brings up a picker for your different keyboards, just like the system keyboard does. And that's something that I, I just haven't seen that much in third party keyboards and I'm very happy for it. This actually reminds me, I I completely randomly discovered a thing that I would really like to share. So I I use copied a lot. And when I have an external keyboard connected, I like having copied be the third party keyboard on the screen so that I can type with the external keyboard and have copied there kind of as a persistent clipboard manager. Um, And I had to always use Bluetooth keyboards because I couldn't figure out how to make the software keyboard show up when a smart keyboard was connected. And I don't know when this happened, but if you tap and hold on the little chevron on the right side of the screen when you're typing with the keyboard, it's on, on the on the right side of the of the iPad screen, there's a little chevron that is like kind of the, the dismiss keyboard button. If you tap and hold on that, it makes the software keyboard pop up, even if you have a magic keyboard, I mean, a smart keyboard connected. Because people were doing things like that. Like we have, I had someone just write me the other day say, I... I want to be able to access my text expander keyboard, but I also want to keep my keyboard, my, my, um, smart keyboard attached. And that's the way you do it is you hold that button and then it, whatever one you've got active will show up on the screen and then you can dismiss it afterwards. What's so weird about it is on the, on the Apple smart keyboard support article, it says, if you want to use another keyboard, briefly lift up your iPad so it undocks and then use the keyboard and then dock it again. So I don't know how recently this changed. Yeah, that's the old way. I think this this came out with, don't quote me on this, I think it was iOS 10 when they released this feature, but maybe they just never updated the documentation. But before, you literally had to physically disconnect it. (laughs) It's like, it was, I don't know, it felt kind of weird to me. Like, oh, now I got to pull the keyboard apart just so I can get this, the software feature, which should have been 
solvable and and they did solve it with that long press yeah well i'm i was i, I discovered it like a month ago and i was very frustrated that it took me that long to figure it out uh, it's funny on on ios devices how something just shows up one day and or you find it and you don't want to think about how long you've been working around it uh, there are certain advantages to these glass keyboards but the uh but there's disadvantages too this episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. Get $25 credit by going to SaneBox.com MPU. For those of you that have been with us since the beginning, you'll know that our very first show on the Mac Power Users was about email. And the reason we did that is because email is a problem. It's always been a problem and it continues to be. We all take email for granted now, but it's a revolutionary technology that's both a blessing and a curse. Now, if you're struggling with email, I want you to check out our sponsor, SaneBox. It's a remarkable email management tool that I discovered several years ago and immediately became a subscriber. First, SaneBox will filter your email for you. So when you look in your inbox in the morning, you don't see all of your mail. You just see the most important. The rest of it's filtered into different boxes that you can look at later. SaneBox also has email deferring tools, so you can snooze an email to say, show it to me tomorrow, or show it to me on Monday or Saturday. This is a great feature that I use every day. SaneBox also solves the problem of reminding you when someone doesn't reply. If you send an email out with SaneBox and you blind copy it to a specific period of time, like one week at SaneBox.com, and your receiver doesn't reply, you'll get a reminder in one week to follow up. And that's just a few of the many tools you'll get if you sign up for a SaneBox account. These guys are serious about helping you conquer your email. They keep adding new features all the time, and it's a, just a great service to have. And here's a little bit of a secret. The team at SaneBox loves the Mac Power users. Of all the podcasts they've ever sponsored, Mac Power users sign up and keep the service more than anybody else. And I always have felt that's because the listeners of this show understand how important email is and how valuable email tools are. So they love you guys so much that they're giving you a discount that they're not giving anywhere else. That's right. You get a $25 credit that you can't get anywhere else. So conquer your email today. Head over to SaneBox.com slash MPU and sign up and check it out. All right. So, Teddy, uh, getting out of the classroom and getting back to, you know, getting research done, uh, what's changed? So as far as stuff that hasn't changed, I'm still doing iCloud Drive. And still doing PDF expert. Let's. Talk, I forgot about that. You were. <laughs> I think you were the first person ever on Mac Power Users to say, "I'm doing everything in iCloud Drive," <laughs> and um, and I think you sent me on a little spirit quest. I think afterwards, I'm like, "Well, if Teddy can do it, I can do it." So I, I I did a test where I put all my data into iCloud Drive for several months. How'd that go? It went okay. I mean, it, I didn't lose any data. That's a good sign. The the problem was that I was working so much on the iPad. Actually, what chased me out of iCloud Drive was um, was iOS 10 because to, the save to iCloud button in iOS 10, and I, I won't go, because I've talked about this three or four times on the show, but the, the iOS 10 save to iCloud button is terrible. It just, it, it was it was designed in a way that doesn't work if you have more than 10 or 12 folders. And um, and by the way, it's still in the beta for iOS 11. Just in case you wondered, they haven't fixed it. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> but the it's uh, terrible. But it is fixed in the sense that with dual screens, and you can have the iCloud, the Files app open on the right side of the screen. You can just literally drag into it. So that solves that problem. 
but the actual interface for saved iCloud is still terrible. That's what chased me out of it, um, frankly. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, that's definitely a frustrating thing about it. I mean, the the reason, the thing that led me to, I used to keep everything in Dropbox, and the thing that led me to stop doing that was realizing that the apps that I use the absolute most, which are, you know, key, Keynote, Pages, Numbers, MyNode, and Omni Outliner, none of those I could work on iOS using Dropbox in a way that was anything but very rudimentary. Um, and so that made me think about, I got to get off Dropbox. And iCloud drivers worked really well. I started trying box.com um, just kind of as an experiment. And I've been very surprised by how well it integrates with stuff like, so if you have a MyNode document in box and you're in the box.com app and you press the share button my node becomes not copy to my node but edit in my node and it'll open it in my node and let you save it back to box without having to use the whole document picker stuff well it's that is really developer selectable in ios and and i think you know apple came out with these document pickers and the whole thing is getting turned upside down with iOS 11 because now there's a files app and there's a unified file selection tool. So this really isn't the time to be making big moves in this in this space. But some of these apps, I, at Dropbox in particular, never really fully, you know, went all the way down the stack with document picking on iOS. And I talked to somebody who was with Dropbox once I was at a conference and there was a Dropbox programmer there and I asked her about it and she said, well, you know, to us, a very good answer she gave was, you know, data integrity is is sacred. You know, we don't want to goof around with some silly Apple API and suddenly have files lost. So we just took the safe route. Um, but, you know, at the same time, safe route doesn't really help me that much because now, now all of a sudden it's like old sneaker net and I've got three or four copies of my presentation on my device. I mean, they, they had a blog post saying that they were going to support files.app in iOS 11 so here's hoping that they get they get more integrated into the iPad. Yeah, and and the things I I heard, you know, in the back alleys of San Jose <laughs> to the extent there are back alleys <laughs> of San Jose was that um that Apple kind of acknowledged, you know, we could have done this document picker thing better and this new take on it I think is a lot probably a lot more solid and I think it's a lot easier for other companies to tie into it and just join in. I mean, it, it is so much better looking at the beta, I mean, in, in your four hours, were you able to open the files app before everything went yes. bad? Because <laughs> the only the thing first it's... thing I did was assign a tag to something, and I was thrilled yeah. that it worked. Tags are awesome. I mean, they should have been on iOS. I mean, they put them on, they made such a big deal by rolling them out on the Mac. And I have a lot of tags, but the, um, but, but it just works really well. And you just, it, it's, it's a, it's a um, finder. <laughs> they, they don't call it that, but it's a, fi it's a simplified finder. It doesn't allow you to go as deep into the operating system as the Finder does, but it, it gives you a Finder for your files. And the way Apple described it, the keynote, and the way I understand this is going to be implemented for other services, there's just a set of tabs down the left side of the screen. So if if Dropbox is your thing, you press the Dropbox tab, and then you've got a hierarchical list of all your Dropbox folders. They'll do the same thing with Box.com or iCloud. Uh, uh, currently, it only supports iCloud in the beta, uh, which tempts me you know, to go back in again and, and put some data in iCloud and, and really kick the tires on it. I mean, besides the terrible save sheet, David, it 
works well and it saves versions of your documents. It's pretty it's a pretty good service. I've I have high hopes, especially now that they're adding all these sharing features to it. I agree. I think I just kind of want to see how things play out as we get through um, this beta process and we get to September. But I could very well see myself uh, going into iCloud. And and there's frankly some, you know, I'm kind of talking off the cuff here, but I feel like between privacy protection, I just feel like it's such a big deal to Apple um, that that the stuff you put on iCloud is I'd like to think is going to be safer than the stuff you put on Dropbox. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's well-founded, but I have a similar kind of approach to it. And that's part of what makes me happy. Just kind of dumping everything in there. Well, that's good to know that iCloud is still working for you. So you've been at that iCloud only now for a couple of years, right? I have. And, and there, there are some hacks that I've come up with that hopefully will become irrelevant with iOS 11. But one of them is, um, tags, on iOS, you can't assign tags, but if you do assign a tag to iCloud to an iCloud folder or document on the Mac, it'll sync over to iOS. And so one of the annoying things about how document providers work in iOS is that you have to drill down every time. So what I started doing is tagging each set of folders at each sort of level of hierarchy that I thought were important, any given tag, red or whatever, and then on the iCloud file picker, I sort everything by tags, which functionally means sort by alphabetically, except put all the tagged ones up top. And so that actually simplifies the drilling down process because the ones that I usually go to are always at the top of the screen. Nice. And and you will be able to, I, I don't want to get in too much of the beta yet because it's just so early, but uh, there are ways to assign tags in iOS. I don't believe currently, I don't want to test it now because then I will crash my iPad during the show. <laughs> I wonder if that's what did it, but I did, I did do that. I dragged a file onto a tag and it got tagged and I was very, very excited. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. And, and there's some other ways too, but I think they're all kind of sorting that out as we get through this beta process. But the good news is wh- whether you like iCloud, Dropbox, Box, or you know, OneDrive or whatever, even Google iDrive, I think they're going to support it. Um, Apple has provided a very easy on-ramp for these services. And for those of us that are using two or three services, it's going to make it just as easy. Um, Also on iOS, they've got a unified file picker now. So when you go to save or open a document with iOS 11, you're going to be able, you're going to see the same interface no matter what app you're in. And, uh, and it's going to be very similar to the Files app. So it's going to just give you easy access to everything. And I hope all of the, the major developers will just adopt Apple's system and not try to roll their own. So often they try to make their own and it actually makes it harder on the users. Another annoyance that I've encountered with file providers is I tried using Google Drive for a while since it's seem, it's you know a very popular file provider and I collaborate with a lot of people. So people were comfortable using Google Drive but Google Drive on iOS is super bad at package-based documents like any of Omni's ones or MindNode. And so you just can't use that as a document provider on iOS if you use apps like MindNode or Omni Outliner, which is seems kind of silly for such a, you know, a very competitive uh, file syncing solution. I'm surprised they can't make it better with packages. I honestly still don't understand why... Google is just dragging on iPad. I, I, you know, I wrote an article last year. It's like, uh, you know, if I had told you three years ago that there's going to, that Microsoft 
and Google are going to make apps for the iPad. And one is going to be doing an awesome bang up job. And one of them is going to be <laughs> really slow to get anything updated. Which companies would you assign to that? You know, and <laughs> I never would have guessed that, you know, Microsoft is just kind of crushing it. And Google is, it took them like, I think something like from announcement of split screen to implementation was something like 18 months. I mean, I don't, it was just crazy. Unbelievable. Um, anyway, so another thing I want to talk about for research that I've been playing with recently is this app called Liquid Text. Have you heard of Liquid Text? Yes, yes. I've talked about it on the show. I'm a big fan of Liquid Text. Yeah, I, I, I started using it as I prepared um, doing some research preparation, especially now that you can add several PDFs to the same Liquid Text document and just extract different pieces of text into sort of like a... I don't know how to describe it, kind of like a workspace where you can put little bits of images and text and each each bit of images and text links back to the original PDF. So it's a really nice way of doing research and kind of aggregating different concepts together. Um, the only downside is that, you know, you it doesn't really sync with anything. when you And when you import PDFs, it turns into a liquid text file and that file doesn't really exist anywhere besides the liquid text app at least last time I, I used it, which was maybe two or so months ago. Um, so I, that's one thing that's not great about it. But as far as like making a workspace for yourself, it's the closest to like a digital drafting table that I've really encountered. Yeah, It's like a whole new paradigm for PDFs. I should just back up and explain a little bit. It's a PDF app. And, um, but you know, where most PDF apps are, they present the document to you. Maybe they give you some annotation tools. Liquid Text says, I'm going to allow you to digitally scrunch the document if you want. Like, I had a contract I was writing with a client, and we were dealing with a very large tech company. And this company had a contract that had been written, it was 80 pages long. That was their standard contract. <laughs> and it you could tell that there were, like, multiple lawyers over years that had worked on this, and everyone came into it just decided to rather than fix it just to add some of their own stuff to the end so uh, reading the contract was like an archaeological dig you know there were like three different <laughs> of the same clause in it you know there's the one the original guy wrote the one the second guy wrote the one the fourth guy wrote so so i was trying to get through it all and, and index it all and liquid text is perfect for that because i could actually just kind of pull the document together and then have the three various clauses together pitch pick the one i liked and then strike out the other two and tell them, hey, you should delete these since they're repeated. I did their work for them. But uh, but Liquid Texas does that. And, and the other thing it does, like Teddy was saying, is you can actually pull pieces out of the document and put them on the side. And kind of like uh, Dumbledore's, um, what's the thing Dumbledore, he took the thoughts out of his brain, the, um, I forget, he pulled the threads of out of his mind, his ideas, and he would just put them on the side. It's like that. Pensive. It was, Dumbledore's pensive. Anyway, it's a, it's a great little app for that stuff. I, I think it's really lends itself to large PDFs or like when Teddy's working with multiple PDFs. It's it's a thought. It's almost a thought tool more than it's a PDF tool to me. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty and and they have really good exporting abilities of your little drafting table thing. You can export it as a Word document or a PDF or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's a really nice like. Like I say, I use MindNode a lot. It's kind of like a pre-MindNode where I'm just kind of assembling different bits of stuff together before I even get into the bigger kind of structure. And, and where does MindNode fit in at all for you these days? It's sort of my starting place nowadays for everything. I mean, if it's a research project, if it's a lecture, if it's just trying to decide what I want to um, get done that week, I'll get out, go outside of my task management app and just start in MindNode. I think it's just 
works very well with how I think. It's aesthetically perfect, I think. Um, their support of notes and attachments and stuff has gotten quite good. It's just, it's just a great app. And um, speaking of iOS document providers and stuff, it's the only app I've encountered besides iWork, besides Pages and Numbers and Keynote, where if you're in an app like iCloud Drive's app or Box.com's app, and you press the share button, it shows edit in my node instead of copy to my node. And I have, have you, have you encountered any other apps that, that do this? My node is the only one I can find. The, I mean, there's some very cut, like Microsoft Word works very well with Dropbox that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, but it's where these company made these alliances where I suspect with my node, it's just really hard work on the behalf of my node to make their app do that. Those guys are, man, I'm so grateful for the work they do because it's something I use probably every day. Yeah, and when they add features, they add good features. They don't take it over the top. That's the other thing I like about the way they do that app. I know that you were thinking about notes. Uh, Katie and I are going to do a show about that in the near future. What apps are you using for notes these days? I use iOS Notes app. I was using it last time we talked. I was a little nervous about you know, I'm kind of going all in with Apple Notes and I'm worried that this was just a one-time thing where they added these features. And so now, um, so I was really skeptical, but I kept using it because specifically their share extension is so good where you can append anything, a file, a page, a web, a website to any note file, any notes, um, note. And now with iOS 11, I'm super glad I did because now with iOS 11, Notes looks great. Yeah. So they have the advantage of being the company that makes the operating system too. So of course the the share extension is going to be the best for Notes, or at least theoretically it should be. And um, I, I want to make, I wish Katie was here tonight because I would tease her about this. So it's probably not fair teasing her when she's not here. But I think on this show three or four times, she was very judgy with me about using notes and telling me, well, you know, they fixed it once. Now they're going to abandon it and not think about it for 10 years. So you're going to, you, you know, I hope you like the features you have because there's not going to be any more. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> guess what? We got more. So that's great. Um, uh, and, and there's some real competition in this space. There's a great app called Bear that I think is very automation friendly, but it doesn't have as many hooks as, as notes does. But they, I feel like right now we have an abundance of riches. Um, but I'm glad to hear that you're like, you know, it's especially like if you're on the iCloud train, just kind of keeping everything simple with the Apple native app there is probably good for you. Yeah. And, I, and I've started using the um, notes collaboration features a bit more. Like if I'm taking a trip with someone, I'll just share that one note with them and we can add whatever we want to it. And it's been working really quite well. Um, Real time collaboration on the same note and stuff like that. I have my, my tests with it have not shown it very good in terms of real-time collaboration. Like if you're sitting next to the person, you type something, it doesn't show up on there. So it's not Google docs. Good in my experience, but, but it eventually gets there, I guess is the way, it, the way I'd put it. The, um, and, and LaTeX, are you still doing, I'm sure you're doing a lot of LaTeX writing. Yeah. So I am, although a lot less of writing actual dot T E X documents. So that's how I wrote my dissertation and how I write a lot of articles. And the app that I use, TechPad, um, on iOS recently added a feature that's existed on the Mac, which is that if you're on a certain point in your tech file, you can jump to the corresponding part on the PDF and vice versa. So it's gotten really good. But something that has been totally astounding to me about LaTeX on the iPad is pages 
added LaTeX support. I didn't know that. Which is such a weird thing for me to say, but you can insert equations now and it'll bring up this equation editor. And unlike Microsoft's equation editor, in which it's kind of this proprietary thing that has all these weird ins and outs, you can paste in raw tech code and it'll turn it into a really nicely rendered equation. I'm super surprised they did it. And I really, really hope it gets added to Keynote. Um, and I think from talking to a couple people, it sounds like the first group to do it was actually the iBooks author group who added um, equation support like way back when. And that was the basis of them come, bringing it to pages. But it's the first time equation editing is the same on iOS and macOS for a document style app like Pages or Word. It's really amazing. And it's driven a lot of my shift toward Pages and away from Word. I think that's, you know, that was the promise a few years ago when they wound back pages on Mac. They took several features out to kind of get a unified code base. And they said, now when we add, you know, whatever the new sexy is, it's going to be across both platforms. So maybe you're seeing a little bit of that. Yeah, they weren't kidding. I'm really happy about it. I just, God, I hope they add it to Keynote because that would make my life a lot easier. Right now, if you copy an equation from pages and paste it into keynote it becomes an image which isn't that bad but it'd be really nice if they added the full equation editing support to keynote as well yeah and you think if they got it in pages it can't be that much more work to put it in a keynote that's what i'd like to think but you know says the two guys who are not programmers (laughs) (laughs) exactly Hey, gang, I'm sorry I'm not able to be there with you today, but I did want to pop in and tell you about the awesome new Omni Outliner 5. Whether you're taking notes, making lists, brainstorming, or starting a book, Omni Outliner is there for you, and their new Essentials version is available for just $9.99. Omni Outliner 5 Essentials includes the best way to get you writing, outlining, and get it done. They've got a full screen mode that's beautiful, and depending on your preferences, the toolbar can even disappear too. You can turn on typewriter mode, keep your text centered and at eye level, use document zoom so everything stays readable. Omni Outliner even adapts to your themes, colors, and has a great dark mode. They have special features like keyword filtering, document statistics, a distraction-free mode, a resource search, touch bar support, dark mode, OPML mode, and profile compatibility, all for just $9.99. And if you own any previous version of Omni Outliner, upgrades for you start at just $4.99. And if you need more power, check out Omni Outliner Pro. Omni Outliner Pro allows you to create perfect outlines with a power productivity app. This is your all-purpose tool for Mac with smart columns, scriptability, custom styles, templates, and more. And this version includes additional Pro features such as saved filters, customizable keyboard shortcuts, slide and sidebars, multiple row focus, Excel support, improved column support, and more. Now, upgrades for the Pro version are available for $29.99 if you have any previous version of Omni Outliner, or you can buy it outright for $59.99. And don't forget, you can take your outlines on the go with you with their Omni Outliner iOS app that's available as well, and sync everything using their OmniPresence sync service between Mac and iOS. Their backend is open source, so you can install it on a server that you control, or use their OmniSync server. It's completely up to you. And of course, all Omni products include world-class support, and a 30-day return policy. Learn more over at omnigroup.com. And thanks for your support of the Mac Power users. 
Teddy, you know, we have you on the show and you're telling us all this great workflow stuff you're doing for teaching and writing and researching. But, you know, I think at this point, having done two episodes of Mac Power Users, you get your official nerd merit badge. <laughs> when you're not working, what are some of the cool tech stuff you're working, you're using when you're not, you know, teaching and writing? Yeah. So um, one thing that I do outside of teaching, and I don't, I don't know if I've ever talked to you about this, David, but I'm a, I'm a jazz guitarist. Yeah, that's right. We got into this at the very end of last episode. I'm okay. Yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk. Hope maybe one, maybe one day you and I can can jam together. Um, you know what? We can do that soon. I I haven't said this on the show, but about three months ago, I realized that working home, I could have my saxophone next to my desk all day. So I um I put I got the sax out, put it in the stand, and now I'm playing at least an hour a day, which is I haven't done that in thirty years. Oh, that's amazing. And my chops are coming back together. I'm having so much fun. So let's talk let's talk some tech and music for a minute. Yeah, we definitely should jam some time. Um so yeah, so a couple things that I've been using for that that I think would be fun to to talk about. One of them is surprisingly on the Apple Watch, there's an app that it's called, I think it's called like Chord Cheats or something. It's the main app is just giving you um, like tablature for guitar chords. But the Apple Watch app has this thing where it will play tones of open strings, which is really nice for tuning. So sometimes I'll be getting ready for a rehearsal and I'll just put the Apple Watch to my ear and press whatever note I want it to play. And it'll just loop that note and I can tune based on it. It's the Apple Watch isn't good enough to be its own tuner, but it is good enough to actually just show you play the tune play the tones for you. So that's been like a really nice kind of quick thing that I've used. And another thing I've used is a is a metronome app called Click, which when you set the pace on your watch, it'll start tapping your wrist to the to the tempo. And so that's a nice way to kind of uh, get you set up once once you move your wrist down and the screen shuts off then it stops so it's only good to kind of like give you a give you a, a guess i mean a starting point but it's pretty sweet um and i and i recommend that as well send me links for those i'll put them in the show notes i got a uh, i've got a tuning app that I, i'll tell you this has kind of been really fun for me the last three months i'm very passionate about this all of a sudden uh it reminds me how wonderful the internet can be um you know what I mean? Because you forget, right? And when I was really serious about last time I was really serious about playing the saxophone was like in the eighties, and I was in the in the state jazz band. I was I was pretty good, and but all this stuff was forbidden knowledge to us. Like there is a um, uh, there's a Charlie Parker tune. Well, actually, Dizzy wrote it, but it's called "Night in Tunisia." And at the end of the first first chorus, they have a thing where the whole band stops for two measures, and Charlie Parker played this solo with like a million notes in like two measures. It's called, saxophone players call it the break. In fact, a lot of sax players, if you just say the break, they know exactly what you're talking about. So back in the 80s, I wanted a transcription of the break, but I could not for the life of me get it transcribed. I'd listen to it. There was no way to slow the notes down. Back then, you had to be like a genius to just transcribe the break. And a friend of mine knew a guy that knew a guy in Italy. <laughs> and I... so. So, you know, 18 year old Sparky, you know, in 1986, I, I wrote a letter to Italy, like the stamp, sent it to this guy. I said, you don't know me, but I heard about you and I heard you have a copy of the break, you know, and the guy was nice enough to mail me a copy of it. And that's how I got the break, you know, and now you go on YouTube and it's like there, it's just there. All that stuff is there. 
that's really cool that you did that though. Yeah, but 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 the um so but so you were talking about intonation. There's an app for saxophonists. Actually, it's for anybody that plays an instrument called Pitch. It's an iPhone app, and um, it it measures your 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 pitch on any note. It automatically detects the note and shows you if you're above or below the note. And um, I've been kind of t- taking a beginner mind approach to playing the saxophone because it's been so long. I feel like I'm gonna revisit the embouchure and just really start slow, and just playing every note slowly up and down the horn. I'm finding what notes I'm sharp on and what notes I'm flat on. And this is, this is stuff that just wasn't possible in 1986. There's also a, a cool metronome app I found that drops out on you. It like it taps for you. And, oh man. And then after a while it just drops out and then, and then reenters like after a measure or four measures to see how you're doing. That's awesome. Do you remember what it's called? Yeah. Hold on a second. I got to look it up. <laughs> I've got so many apps here for music. I just went crazy and downloaded them all. You know, I'll, I'll add it to the show notes. I don't want to have a bunch of dead space, but but there's it's a great app and it like it gives you that. What about music? How are you? See, I guess so. You 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 work off tab charts because you're a guitarist, probably. No, I I use real books. Um, and I have a couple of real books on PDFs that I got on a CDR, like. 15 years ago and I've kept, I've managed to kept to keep them in my life and now they're, you know, stored in the cloud. So I have these, uh, real book PDFs and I use an app called Fourscore, F O R S C O R E, um, to keep them all in there. And it's just a nice app that kind of keeps your display on and lets you jump between different charts and has these nice little annotation functions. And so I actually have this sort of funny looking, it's kind of a music stand, but it holds my 13 inch iPad and that's my performance stand. And I use four score to kind of switch between tunes in the sets that we play. Yeah. I use four score as well. It's a great music uh, app. And like the, the, if you're talking about real, the real books I have, these are the old fake books. It's like for somebody who's not familiar with it, musicians would write down these one page charts with the chords and the melody of all of like 300 songs and they would bind it together. And then if you go play a gig, you could just go, somebody wants to play Fly Me to the Moon, you could go find the, the page for it and you could go from there. And, um, and Fourscore is great for that because you can set bookmarks, you can set playlists and just get through that. Another cool thing you can do with Fourscore, I've not done it, um, but you've got a, um, the ability to have Bluetooth pedals you can buy where it actually flips the page of the chart with your foot while you're playing. Yeah, I actually have one of those Bluetooth pedals that I was using for other reasons. I was using it for a looping app um, called, I think, Loopy. But I thought about actually trying to apply it to Fourscore. I just kind of don't because usually when you're playing jazz, you just have a one-page chart, like you're saying, so you don't necessarily need it. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of page flipping going on. Unless unless you need to turn to the page with Charlie Parker's transcription of the (laughs) rake. And then everyone says, wow, that guy's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I can't even play it reading it, so I'm not sure about that. But the um, it's interesting that you said you put your music on your 13-inch iPad because I just got a 10.5-inch iPad that I really like, and I've kept the 13-inch turned off for the week that I've been trying to just work with the 10.5. And I can tell you, playing sheet music is the hardest thing to do with the 10.5. That's the one thing where I really miss the big iPad. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like one of the times in which it just totally, totally works to have it that big. Um, 
But speaking of, of real books, there's another app that I use a lot called iRealPro um, that like users can submit charts basically and you can download them very easily and then it basically creates a little fake rhythm section for you for whatever chart you are using and you can set the tempo and set the key um and how many times they, you want to go through each chorus and you know you can i i just downloaded like several hundred regular standards um using that app and i use it to practice sometimes when i'm not with the group there's an app for the mac so a similar app for the Mac called Band in a Box. Have you ever heard of this one? I have, yeah. It's it's. I'm actually going to do a review on it at Mac Sparky because they. I originally bought this app and like I think it was like '88 or something a long time ago. And if you're a musician, you know finding people to play along with is hard. And so one of the things folks do is with Band in a Box, you you open up this application and you type in the chord changes. You know C minor seven, you know D major seven, whatever you. Just, literally type in the chord changes that the song comes with. And then you can pick the style, whether you want to be jazz or country or rock or, and they've got many, many sub genres in each one of those. And then it puts together using MIDI instruments, a backup for you. And it's very powerful. And they've got different like phases. You can have drum fills and all kinds of cool stuff. But a few years ago, they added what they call real tracks to it. And I don't even know the whole underlying technology about it. I'll figure it out by the time I write the review. But I believe they just took guys into studios and started recording with them. And they did it in a way that you can reset the pitch. So, um, you know, it really sounds like an actual bass player is in the room with you or a drummer or whatever. And um, it's it's very powerful. So I've been playing along with that stuff. Oh, awesome. That sounds a lot nicer than what I'm using. But... Yeah. Yeah. You have to you have to check it out. Band in the box. Yeah. I'd always heard about it like a while ago and I kind of thought it was not you know, I thought of it as like an old piece of software, but I'm looking at it now and seeing how incredibly it's like they have a 2017 version out already. Yeah, no, I mean, it, but if you the user interface is not something to write home about. <laughs> the, uh, but underlying it all, it's super powerful. And um, and if like if you're a music teacher or just somebody who wants to, you know, if you're a nerdy, you know, tech writer who wants to play along with the changes and I don't happen to have a house band waiting for me. You know, Band in the Box does the job pretty well. A another thing you can do with the app that's very cool is you can export the tracks to MIDI. So then you can drop it into Logic and then go crazy. You know, once you've got it in Logic, you can use the Logic instruments um, and you can reset it. You can, you know, like one of the things I'm considering doing, this is why I said you and I might play together, is I'm going to pull some of these charts together that I really want to play. And then I'm going to put them in Logic. And then I'm going to, like, I've got a friend um, who's a very good bass player. And um, maybe, you know, Teddy on guitar. And we could, over the internet, just kind of share the file and see if we could build a few few tunes together. Dude, I'm in. That sounds awesome. The the the, the Apple nerd band. <laughs> <laughs> Any other big apps for uh, playing music these days? Um, No, not really. Those are the ones I use. I use an app called um, Capo sometimes for when I'm trying to transcribe things like the, the Charlie Parker break. Um, that are too fast and capo is a nice app that lets you slow things down and create little loops for yourself so you can really focus on transcribing um i'm a really big fan of bill evans and transcribing his solos is sometimes a bit of a challenge so capo helps me with that uh bill evans teddy we 
okay, we're going to have an offline discussion. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds good. I I love Bill Evans and modal jazz. I think it's some of the best music that has ever been on the earth. So yeah, we have stuff to talk about. Well, I think that's it for today though. Um, uh, Hopefully we didn't go too far down the music nerd, but we did at the end. So I guess that's okay. And, um, and Katie wasn't here to like, you know, drag me back into productivity. So <laughs> today, uh, but, uh, if folks want to find you, Teddy, where should they go? Um, so I have a website, teddysferonos.com where I share tech stuff and I post a lot of the online, uh, videos I make teaching statistics. Um, so that's a good place to go. And I am Ted Svo on Twitter, T E D S V O. Well, I, I love the stuff you're doing. I love that you're using things like workflow and pushing the ball forward. I think your students are very fortunate. I hope some of the listeners can pick up on some of your workflows and bring it into whatever they're doing in life. And I want to thank our sponsors for today, 1Password, Box, Omni Group, and Jamf. And um, we'll see you all next week. Bye.